Hello, Reagan here, and welcome to week seven of Twisted States, where we take a look week by week, state by state, at some of the U.S.'s most nefarious killers, elusive cryptids, and bizarre mysteries. This week, we are headed to good old South Dakota. So South Dakota, South Dakota was the either the 39th or 40th state to be admitted to the Union. I say it that way not because I don't know which one, but because nobody knows which one, because Benjamin Harrison, president at the time, thought it would be really cute to shuffle the paperwork so that nobody would know which state was admitted into the Union first, North Dakota or South Dakota. That happened on November 2nd of 1889. The state is kind of, it's divided in half by the Missouri River. The locals call it like East River and West River. And the majority of the state's population is actually on the eastern side of the state, the eastern side of the river. And then the western side is more mountainous. And I mean, that's like the home of the Black Hills, which is a bunch of like low pine covered mountains that are considered sacred land by the Sioux. So... There's a whole bunch of backstory that I'm not (laughs) emotionally prepared to share. But basically, when I was nine years old, my grandmother put me in a 1980 Regency 98 Oldsmobile, and we moved from Las Vegas, Nevada, to Deadwood, South Dakota. She was called up there to run a tour in a place that she used to work at that was no longer open in the capacity that it was when she first worked up there. (laughs) Thankfully, because I was nine um, it was 1986 and she went to Deadwood, South Dakota to run the Green Door Brothel tour. I had never been out of Vegas. It's then like, you know, actually I'd never really been out of Nevada at that point. So it was quite the experience, culture shock. It was beautiful up there. Black Hills are absolutely breathtaking and Deadwood, back then, this was before they legalized gambling, which happened, I believe, in 89. And it was beautiful. It was such a nice, quaint little town. It was a tourist town, but it was just, like, they restored the original cobblestone on the street. I used to go and sit in the big rocking chairs on the front porch of the Franklin Hotel Spent many, many hours hanging out in the library there. I used to go wander around in the woods, go up to the cemetery, climb up to White Rocks. And besides the Boot Hill Cemetery, there was also another cemetery that was hidden and lesser known by the public at the time. Uh, Down at the other end of town, if you went up Burnham Hill, and that hill was like, when you looked at it, it just looked like it went straight up. Like, <laughs> it's like climbing a wall to get up that hill. Um, I spent a lot of time running around and just, I was a, you know, streetlight kid. <laughs> so I got to get out and do a lot of really cool things while we were living there. It was also a weird situation too, because at the same time, being the new kid and being, you know, such an outsider being from another state and everything and being from Vegas of all places. I was teased a lot (laughs) and the kids were pretty mean there, but I had one or two good friends and that's all that really mattered. So it wasn't all bad. 
but we spent the first season, I will never forget, like that was the craziest summer of my life and has stuck with me my entire life. Here we are almost 35 years later and it's still fresh in my mind. (laughs) The building that we were staying in was the Green Door and there were four buildings there, but all the other buildings were empty. And we were upstairs. Downstairs used to be a saloon, but it was closed. And we were kind of, I mean, it's a small town, so we weren't really that like isolated, but technically kind of, you know. But there were big wooden barricade like bars that went across the doors and several deadbolts. The place was like super fortified, <laughs> you know, so I didn't feel unsafe. And it was only my grandmother and I living there while she was giving the tour. My uncle was there later on for a short while, but for the most part, it was just my grandmother and I, and she was giving the tour. We lived in the madam's quarters, which also have their own, uh, like locks and stuff, you know, but there wasn't a restroom in the madam's quarters. There was a kitchen, a little kitchenette, but there was no, no potty. (laughs) The bathroom was down the hall and on the other side of the front door. One night, in the middle of the night, I got up because I had decided to indulge in one too many Dr. Peppers with my dinner (laughs) and had to wander down the hall (laughs) to use the restroom. And as I was going down the hall to use the restroom, I saw somebody coming out of said restroom, heading down the hallway, going toward the other rooms that were in the front of the building on the other side of the door from where the madam's quarters were, where we stayed. All I saw was some long blonde hair. It looked like like a fall or a wig, you know, uh, and a pink chiffon robe and nightgown. And I didn't see any feet. All I was thinking about at the time was how I had to go. <laughs> I was in a hurry to go to the restroom. So I ran and so I got in there, did my business. And as I'm sitting there, it clicked in my head. I was like, wait, what? There's not supposed to be anybody else here. (laughs) And... You know, like sitting there on the toilet, it was like, you know, that the push pull thing they do in movies with the lens, you know, like all of a sudden, like the walls were closing in on me. And at the same time, the room was getting gigantic and I was terrified and I realized that I had to go back out of this room and back into my bed (laughs) where my grandmother was in the madam's quarters. And that was the most terrifying, like I stood there for a minute got up the nerve, popped open the door, bolted as fast as I could, <laughs> ran, slammed the door behind me, locked it, climbed in bed, laid there wide-eyed, awake, until my grandmother woke up in the morning. And as soon as her eyes opened, I was like, hey, I used to call her mama. Everybody called her mama, like, because I, I grew up in the house with my aunt, my uncle, and my mom up to that point, And, like, everybody just called her mama. <laughs> everybody called her mama. 
It's like, Mama, I saw something. <laughs> she's like, a bug? I was like, no. I was like, well, it wasn't a bug. And she's like, well, what did you see? I'm like, um, is there anybody else here? She goes, what do you mean? Is there anybody else here? And I was like, is there anybody else staying here? Like, because in the, like, right, not too long before that or whatever, the partners, like the owners, whatever, uh, had came in and spent the night a time or two or whatever. But I always had a heads up because being a child and being with other adults and stuff and it's like the situation, whatever, you know, as always, she would let me know. And then when there were other, like when they stayed there, the one or two times they stayed there before that, like she would, you know, like escort me to the bathroom, whatever, so that I wasn't, you know, freaked out by strangers. I didn't know those people. And, uh, she's like, no, we are alone in the building. And like I said, there's no way it's not like, oh, well, somebody has a key and let themselves in or what. No, like there's there's no other way in or out other than the barricaded doors. So. She didn't say like, oh, you saw a ghost or oh, you didn't see anything like she neither like there was no confirming nor denying anything. She just kind of gave me like the look the okay just let it go look I don't know how to explain that look my grandmother had this way of kind of just I don't know (laughs) it was just her thing you would be in the middle of telling her something and she would just shut you down and not I don't know some I mean she could be mean but she wasn't being mean it was just like a all right well we're just gonna put a pin in this you know what I mean like okay so a little bit more time went by and she told me, she goes, we have some people coming here uh, that I've been speaking to for a little while and the owners have also spoken to and I think it's a good idea to, to have come in. I was like, okay. I had no idea what was going on, but she was like bracing me and trying to explain to me what was going on. Um, a little bit of backstory on me <laughs> is I I had untreated ADHD and I'm on the spectrum uh, for autism, but that was undiagnosed at that time. So I was a very, um, I used to frustrate my grandmother quite a bit. Uh, sometimes, but other times I could be really understanding and, uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it was, I was such a hit or miss child <laughs> when it came to everything. Um, so she told me that they were coming and she's like, you know, uh, you know, these people are going to come in here and we're going to have this thing going on. And when this happens, you're going to have to be on your best behavior. You know, and she kind of reasoned with me and leveled with me and I was like, okay. I can do that, you know. And she's like, it's going to be really interesting and you're going to enjoy it. Okay. Uh, I'm a big weirdo. I always have been. So, of course, you know, I did. (laughs) The people that she had come in uh, were part of a paranormal group out of New Hampshire. Actually, it's the New Hampshire Paranormal Society. Or was at the time. I don't know whether or not there's still like a thing or whatever. This was 35 years ago. But Norm Gothier, um, 
he there was a thing he did i believe it was a book i don't remember like i said this was 35 years ago and i didn't have any luck really looking things up but it was called listen the debtor speaking uh where he spoke of other encounters and things and like what he did and, and all that stuff whatever so um they brought in a team and ghost hunting back then in the 80s was much different than it is now they didn't work with all of this crazy equipment there was no no ghost box there was no you know laser grid there was no, you know none, none of that stuff it was like a tape recorder and maybe a camera or whatever like a still camera that kind of thing so mostly audio mostly old school cassette tapes so they came in there were also reporters there too it was quite a crowd and quite a fiasco it was really cool though honestly to have that experience at that age uh i didn't realize the gravity of it you know at the time but it definitely left an impression and shaped a lot of my interests later on in life but Norm Gothier came in and they did, they were doing EVP sessions and they would record like 10 minutes at a time and it would be, everybody had to be silent. And that was the only time in my life it has ever been easy for me to be silent for 10 minutes at a time because I was so fascinated that I was able to actually stifle <laughs> and be still, which is just not my style. So... He did catch a couple of recordings while he was there and this, they discussed a lot of the, the things that, you know, had happened in the building prior that led to them to believing that it was haunted. And one of the rooms, one of the women that worked there had a dog and in that room there was a stuffed animal dog that looked very similar to the actual dog that lived in that room. And at one point, somebody did a picture of that dog. And I wonder, I'll have to see if I can chase down that, that image. But she took a picture of the, of the room and the stuffed animal dog is in the room. And everything is crystal clear and sharp except for the dog. So I thought that was really weird. <laughs> um, the madam's quarters, there was, the madam used to have a little dog, and sometimes at night, you could feel like, you know, like when an animal comes and lays on top of your blankets, like next to your feet or whatever, and there was an actual indent in the bed that could be seen. But besides animal hauntings, um, the front rooms where I saw the apparition disappear toward. Um, there was a woman that had an altercation with a client. And it was believed that it was like over money or whatever, you know, or some frivolous thing, you know. And uh, he strangled her and put her in the closet. And she didn't immediately die so apparently he was pretty pretty violent about it and uh is believes that that was the that she haunted there <laughs> and 
after talking and I actually got to speak with everybody and tell them my experience that I had. You know, it's believed that that's probably what I saw or who I saw was her ghost. And I had no, I did not know about that. That happened in the thirties. Yeah. It was believed that it was in the, in the 1930s that she uh, was strangled and left for dead in the closet. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely terrifying, but fascinating. That experience, like living up there, uh, paved the way for me. And it's so strange and it's so funny because you would think like, um, being that I believe that I saw what I saw, that I would just be like, yes, I've seen a ghost, <laughs> you know. But part of me is like, did my brain create that? Did I maybe hear the story before and not like absorb it fully, like on a conscious level, but totally picked it up subconsciously and just create that? You know, I was nine, like there's no telling what, but that whole experience and then the experience like getting to meet Norm Gothier and uh, meet his team. And, and deal with like the, the ghost hunters and everything and experience that experience at such a young age made such a huge impression on me as far as all of that goes. And it's something that has always been fascinating to me. And I've participated in a lot of like hunts and stuff, whatever, but, um, not in the commercialized, uh, cash grabby kind of way, <laughs> you know, um, more in a more like muted and controlled environment with, with less theatrics and, and all of that. Uh, but that's been a few years too, since I've actually done that. I've always kind of like thought about getting back into it, but like I said, I don't, I don't want to do some crazy flat. I don't want a bunch of, you know, people just running around trying to jump scare each other. I want to, you know, to actually do it proper. Because it is something that, that definitely fascinates me. And I am a diehard skeptic, despite, uh, I could give you a laundry list of experiences I've had. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it's just my lame coping mechanism to be like, well, it was just my brain. Oh, I was just tired. Oh, I, you know, whatever my lame excuse is for, for, for excusing those things like they didn't happen or whatever. Um, but it would be nice to to at least attempt to get some real proof and uh you know i don't know but there you have it there's my my story of my first ghost experience as a child in deadwood south dakota in the green door brothel at 9 years old anyway okay so my grandmother uh, i'll give you a little bit of a story on her. Her name was Juanita Salea, or Nita Salea. Uh, she went by a lot of different names. Uh, her working name was Lee. She worked all over the country for about 20 years. And she, she tend, tended to work in houses. She, she wasn't, she didn't work like on the street or with like a pimp or anything. She worked in a house with a madam. So there was more of a controlled environment and, uh, about as legitimate as you're going to get in that profession, you know, as far as like money goes and safety and, and things of that nature, you know, because they would have, you know, physicians come in and check the girls over on a regular basis. And there were people there in case somebody got out of line and things like that. So it was a, it was a 
a pretty controlled environment. But she worked in houses in Nevada, up in Carson City. Uh, she worked in houses in Deadwood, obviously. And she worked in Texas. But I believe in Texas, it was like a, in like a motel setting or whatever. And then she, like that's where she got started. And then she found out about the houses and got into those because it was, like I said, safer and more controlled environment. And uh, there was a point where she attempted, my uncle told me this story. <laughs> she There was a point where she attempted to get a job working at the chicken ranch in Texas, which was the house that they made the, the movie Vessel Horace in Texas was based on the chicken ranch. And the madam there told her, um, no, I'm sorry. You're a little bit too, uh, well known. <laughs> you have a little bit too much of a reputation. We're a little too well known for us. No, it's a little too, you know, <laughs> too spicy for us. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, but she was also part of the, um, operation that eventually closed down the houses in Deadwood. And, uh, she just, she, she was, there was, she, there was a lot to that woman. She, uh, as a, as a, as a child, she had a history of abuse. Uh, two of her children belonged to her stepfather. She she just had a rough go, you know, and a lot of untreated mental illness and never really, like, learned how to handle all of the trauma and stuff that she went through when she was younger. She passed away in December of 2020. I have her ashes right now. They're actually sitting on the shelf right here by me. And I also have her cat. <laughs> Because when she passed, there was nobody else to take her cat. So I have her cat. Uh, she called him Zodiac. I call him Poseidon. I renamed him. Which probably would have totally just ticked her off. But that's not my goal. It just fits him because... Uh, not like Poseidon, but like Puss Hyden. <laughs> uh, when I first got him, he was very much an indoor-outdoor cat. He wanted to be outside. And uh, it wasn't comfortable with that. My cats are indoor cats. I don't like to let them out especially in my neighborhood because there's dogs and crazy drivers and I live in the city, you know, it's really scary to have an animal like the outside. Um, but he would go hide <laughs> out, outside, like under my shed and stuff. And I'm like looking everywhere for him, freaking out. And, you know, and so that was kind of a joke. Like that's how I ended up with his name. And uh, now he's basically an indoor cat. Every once in a while, he'll like kind of decide he wants to go outside, but he'll like go outside and like, poop in the yard or something and then come right back in. He doesn't go out much, especially right now. It's, it's really hot outside. So sometimes he'll go out for like a few minutes in the middle of the night when it's coolest and then he comes back in. He doesn't really, he doesn't really outdoors very often anymore. Uh, he's a lap cat now, <laughs> completely spoiled rotten. Um, so yeah, but um, there you have it. I... I'm quickly approaching almost a half an hour. I'm going to go ahead and cut this episode uh, here. And I would request that you please go check out Twisted States on Instagram. And throw me a follow. And if you have any questions, concerns, things you want to share, whatever... 
please feel free to message me over there. It's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Twisted States on Instagram. All one word. Spelled the way it's supposed to be. No weird numbers thrown in there. <laughs> anyway, check it out. And I will talk to you.